You're listening to Soccer Report Extra with Bobby McMahon and Owen O'Callaghan. Welcome to this week's episode, or part of a long series, the Soccer Report Extra podcast. And we're back to full strength this week. We've got Owen O'Callaghan fit again. We've got Luke at the controls. And I am rearing to go. So we're going to start off with uh, Manchester United, Liverpool. Manchester United, Rashford, two two goals. And uh, both route one. Pretty basic stuff that uh, Liverpool weren't able to uh, to defend against. Yeah, it was an odd one, wasn't it? It was, uh, it was pretty yeah. crazy. I mean, firstly, uh, the fact that Rashford scored twice, it brought back memories of... Uh, of the Fergie era, you know, that every time that United would, would play Liverpool, because of the intensity of, of, of the Derby occasion, Fergie would always have uh, veteran local players in the squad. No matter how old Giggs was at the time, or Scholes was at the time, or the Nevilles were, he'd always make sure that at least uh, one or two of them was in that starting lineup, just because, uh, you know, of, of how much it, 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 can, it can, that kind of fixture means to people who grow up in it. And I just think that you know Rashford's actually popped up um, in so many of those types of uh, high-intensity games, and he's done really well. I, I just think that it was a bit of a throwback, uh, and it's also it was also a great reminder of uh, of what the fixture is, and somehow in modern football it still retains this sense of uh, occasion. United against Liverpool, um, and it's it's one thing that we can kind of count on. It's a nice refreshing element. There was a little bit of a niggle to this. A few tackles were flying in, uh, particularly in that second half. There's a little bit of an edge to it, which was good to see as well. Um, and uh, but ultimately, uh, Dayan Lovren, um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, rough day at the office for them. Uh, and also somewhere yeah, kind of you know smashed into this uh, kind of game was one of the greatest own goals I've ever seen in an absolute eternity. <laughs> Eric Bay, I'm abs- I still am befuddled as to how he managed to arc and swivel and turn his body into such a shape that he deftly beat David De Gea at his near post, but somehow he managed it. Um, and obviously as well, this was. This was a, a, an amazing Mourinho performance uh, from, from from this side. I mean, how you go from uh, Jekyll in one half to Hyde in the other. Um, you go from such levels of freshness and openness and expressiveness to being stuck in the edge of your 18-yard 18 uh, 18 box. And I think it was 83rd minutes, I can't remember who it was, uh, Fellaini, I'm guessing, uh, shepherding the ball into the corner flag. Um, with clearly at least 10 minutes of the game left. Um, and only a Jose Mourinho team could do that, right? O- only a Jose team can turn you on in the first half and then give you the cold fucking shoulder after half time. But the thing is, I think, that was really struck me was how well they controlled the Liverpool offensive threat. I thought Ashley Young yeah. did terrifically well. You know, for somebody who is a, still really considered a a left winger who's being used as a left back I thought he did a hell of a yes. good job on uh, Mo Salah and also just taking away the passing lanes and taking away that, that kind of zip out of the Liverpool attack um, I think was a was a little bit of a, a lesson on how to 
to try and defend against Liverpool. But here's a, here's a question for I don't know if we've ever discussed this before, but both goals they referred to them as Route One. Have we talked about mm. the where that Route One kind of comment came from ever? I don't think so. No, I think that's a new conversation no, topic. No, I was I was just I was kind of kind of find that interesting because I don't know if I've, if you know about this this one and no I don't think. Uh, many of the viewers would, or the listeners would know this, but uh, Route One came from a 1960s TV show that featured English clubs, I think Scottish clubs as well, called Quizball. Did you know that? This is news to me, most definitely. No, if you Google Quizball, and it was in the 60s, and and what it was was you basically had the table and. You know, was was on screen, and you had each of the teams, and I think there was maybe three players from each team, or maybe a coach and two players, but they were the nominated three, and then they had a guest supporter who contributed to answering these questions, and they were kind of trivia questions, but they were layered, I think, from four to one, and four basically being Mary had a little what? <laughs> that was the that was the. You know, degree of difficulty, right, on, on four, which was failed now and again, right up to a route one question, which was direct. And if you got a route one question right, you scored the goal. And that is where the term route one comes from. Yeah, there was, uh, I, I, I just, you know, when when I heard the TV commentator talk about route one, I went, God, this is, you know, like, I remember when I was playing in Scotland in the 70s, we talked about route one, like that was a common expression around the guys. And then I, I googled it, and you know the credits being given to the Telegraph or something for referring to you know Watford and or Cambridge in the eighties playing Route One football, but it was a it was a term that was in pretty common use um, right from the sixties in in quiz ball, and and, um, and that that's what it came down to. So Google quiz ball, and you'll find a number of articles in there, and uh, the outstanding player was a guy called Ian Muir, who was a Dundee centre-half when they won the league in 1961-62, went to Manchester United in the late 60s, Busby, and, or, or maybe, it might have been Wolf McGuinness probably signed him, but Ian Muir, when he played for Arsenal, was the uh, was the main man. He was always went route one. So he was a he was a soccer player with a bit of a head on him. And if I'm not, rem- if I don't, uh, if I remember correctly, the guest supporter for Arsenal, and this has come from one of the articles I read on the weekend, was Jimmy Young, the former DJ on Radio 1 or Radio 2. This is this is one of these moments in our podcast where I think we should just stop and say to our listeners, you're welcome. <laughs> you didn't know this before, did you? Wow. We're essentially, we are the Wikipedia uh, of podcasts. I mean, that's what our job here is. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was a good it was it was a kind of show you know they went on a question of sport and there's there's certain a number of it certainly in the UK a number of sport kind of based shows that have actually taken but Quizball was probably the first one and I always thought the concept is really neat and I'm surprised that you know some of the sports stations in the states or in Canada haven't tried to do the same thing around, you know, like a, a Fox or an ESPN or a, a TSN in Canada doing the same thing around hockey, NFL, etc. would be, you know, let's face it, there's there's a market for that stuff, right? Absolutely. And also, we live in the age of the reboot. 
uh, the, the case in point, yes. the Soccer Report Extra podcast, uh, version 2.0. We gave the people what they want. They missed it so badly that we finally relented and, and, cr- and crumbled and gave in. Maybe it's the time for a quiz ball to finally give in ball and relent and come back and, and let the masses entertain this unique and, and wonderful product. Um that's astounding. Maybe it's an maybe there's an MLS version out there. Oh ready dear to be lord, done. that would that would be something, wouldn't it? Um, but you know, or the new Canadian Professional th- League that, that, could do yeah, it that, too. Yeah, that's it. I mean, if, if it ever if gets more than yeah, two if teams, it gets off the ground. Uh, the other thing that struck me when I was watching um, <laughs> United against Liverpool uh, was um, Louis Van Gaal. Yeah. That is what struck me, um, as Marcus Rashford uh, tucked in his second goal, and then as I watched the United team, um, when you look at Ashley Young, as as you've mentioned, as as a, f- a full back who is now uh, in 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 possession of of that jersey, his first choice. Uh, on the other side, Antonio Valencia as another uh, right back, uh, which probably started under Ferguson and, yeah. and Moyes, but Louis Van Gaal certainly kept with it. Um, the fact that Van Gaal had given Rashford his uh, his debut yeah. to begin with. Um, and here is Jose Mourinho inheriting these couple of players and not uh, dramatically changing uh, too many things in terms of uh, positional stuff, etc, etc. Uh, and are we in a situation where Louis van Gaal's period in charge of Manchester United uh, will be um, maybe a little bit more uh, appreciated um, with the benefit of hindsight, do you think? But you look at the uh, this sort of historical precedent. You look at uh, Van Halwey's time at Bayern Munich. Now, he managed to take that Bayern Munich team to the um, Champions League Cup final in 2010, which is more than he managed with Manchester United. But basically, um, you look at that Bayern Munich situation, Thomas Muller, I think, stands out mm-hmm. as one player uh, that was blooded um, by Van Hal, and there was a couple of others as well. But you know, sometimes I think you have to look at not necessarily what Van Hal does, but what yeah. Van Hal leaves behind, and maybe he's just one of these, one of these guys that that um, apart from that, you know, initial burst with with Ajax in the nineties, which was you know truly one of the great young teams that blossomed into a, a, a just a fantastic team. Um, you know that, that he deserves the utmost credit for that, but. Time after that, Barcelona. Um, yeah, I guess you could say say the same thing with Barcelona to some extent. Maybe a little bit more removed because they went through Rijkaard as well, um, and there was two spells of Van Hal. But it's not so much that he leaves his team in better condition than he got it. But down the road, they seem to he seems to have uh, sort of planted the seeds that uh, other other coaches, you know, maybe take advantage of. So. Good point. Uh, Absolutely y- interesting point. Yeah, and and uh, I, I think as well, um, what was what was interesting about this was uh, was like what you said, M- M- Mourinho. Um, to give him credit, um, that defensive shape that United had, and the lack of space that was there as a result of that for uh, yeah. Liverpool's attackers, they they really looked. Um, like they were a little bit confused and like they almost weren't expecting United um, to to play the way they did. I mean, I'd probably the second half was a little bit more in tune with uh, what, what they were kind of uh, probably expecting. But that first half, that first quarter of the game, United came out of the traps so quickly. 
Um, and, you know, you just you just th- thought back to when Rashford scored that second one and the camera went to Klopp on the sideline and he was taking a swig of water and he just, he's just ruefully shaking his head because clearly it was, um, it just seemed to be like Liverpool were absolutely stunned. Um, probably felt that United would have started in, in a lot more uh, cagey way um, and given Liverpool maybe a, more of a chance to settle into it. And I just thought that um, in terms of that, they, we always focus on the coaching battles um, and, and certainly uh, on the weekend, I think Jose Mourinho um, was was actually quite comfortable. I mean, the, the Bayern goal obviously led to that kind of period of sustained Liverpool pressure without them ever really looking like they were going to crack it. Um, I think that, that Mourinho could uh, gladly pat himself on the back for a job that was pretty well done, to be honest. I thought um, Firmino, or Firmino was, was sort of kept under control. And I think you can talk about Salah and you can talk about Sani, but Firmino is... I think is the, the 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 stick that stirs Liverpool's attack. He's so underrated in terms of you know you, the old-fashioned expression about leading the line, but mm. he really does the lead the line, and he was he was a wee bit ineffective. But before we close off this segment, uh, Owen comment: uh, Alexi Sanchez so far Manchester United career, oh, good, bad, God. and different. Ah, oh, terrible, awful, um, so piss poor I mean it's been remarkable uh, and I actually to be honest we, I think we talked about it a few weeks ago um, about just just how in, invisible he has seemed to be in games and, and how the games have passed him by uh, I was actually so surprised that he lasted as long as he did before being hauled off at the weekend um, I just think that you know when we talked about that that transfer as it was kind of being muted and we're trying to figure out how, how it was going to play out you know obviously Alexis Sanchez is a very exciting exuberant player when he gets on, on, on the ball and his time at United has been the complete opposite it's been dull it's been lifeless um, it, it's, uh, I mean, obviously you've touched on it before um, it, you know how much of it could be down to just his energy just being absolutely sapped um, and, and him probably needing a little bit of a summer to recharge his batteries and maybe he'll come back a lot more fresh um, at the start of next season but for the moment I mean it's it's he's nowhere near um, the player that or the signing that we expected him to be um, and it's it's you know it's it's probably it's probably fitting that as much as Sanchez is, has come into to Manchester United it's actually been uh, guys like uh, Rashford and guys like Lukaku who were there all along um, who have stepped up to the plate and delivered. I mean, I think it was uh, very, very interesting that Rashford, uh, who has lacked minutes because of Sanchez's arrival, uh, as a young guy. I mean, I, I just love Rashford. I love. I've loved him from from the first moment um, he scored in Europe on his debut. Just his attitude as a young guy is is so brilliant. Um, he's never found himself in a funk that he hasn't been able to get out of. Uh, and this was a big question mark, you know, about how he was probably going to deal with the arrival of a ready-made kind of superstar, very experienced figure. And he's just dug deep. Um, he's probably kept his head down a little bit and tried to work hard. And he's got his rewards again at the weekend. And uh, I think that's a, a great reflection on him as a kid, uh, a, a guy with a strong work ethic, obviously, uh, and an abundance of talent. And uh, it's, yeah, and it's an interesting comparison between him on one side and, and Sanchez struggling on the other. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of part one of the Soccer Report Extra podcast, and we'll be back in a couple of seconds with a look at Syria. Ah. You're listening to Soccer Report Extra. Keep up to speed with the podcast and get all the latest news, musings and rants from Bobby and Owen by liking us on Facebook at Soccer Report Extra. 
Now back to the show. And we're going to take a little look at Syria A. And um, I guess last week Napoli lost to Roma. Mm. Actually, didn't lose to Roma. They got thrashed by Roma. And this week they were playing Inter, who have been a bit of a, a tailspin themselves lately. Um, but no joy for Napoli. Juventus uh, last weekend, late goal, got them one nothing win, and they win again. Looking at it... Um, now, Owen, uh, Juventus, I believe, are a point ahead and a game in hand. And Napoli don't play Juventus until, I think it's about April 22 or 23. Yeah. I think it's April 22nd. Is it possible Juventus could be out of sight by that time? It's a, I mean, I think that, yeah, that, I think that game in hand for them just gives them an edge. And, and I think you could see it this weekend, you know, I think that that's, you know, Juventus were were two 0 winners over Udinese Dybala, uh, with a brace, and you know the the usual questions. It was how were they going to react after a tough European encounter midweek? They were forced to battle and grind, and maybe uh, they could be caught, uh, but it was never in doubt against Udinese, and they you know absolutely dealt with any sort of questions that were that were that were posed and then we watched how Napoli were going to deal with uh, the pressure being on their shoulders and unfortunately for them they they struggled and you kind of wonder to yourself is this a little bit of a microcosm uh, regarding how the rest of the season plays out because um, firstly it was an absolutely absorbing game Inter against Napoli uh, you know and it's weird, you know, you spend your, your kind of weekend, you know, probably immersed in Premier League action or, or MLS or whatever it is. And you watch this and it was, I mean, the game finished nil-nil, but it was it was absorbing and it was captivating. Yeah. And I'm sure maybe a lot of listeners will say, oh, what do you mean by that? It was just two teams with, with very, very clear approaches to the game. And... I mean, it was just, it was effectively a little bit like a chess battle, you know, it was very, it was tactical and, and it was tight and you knew that any slip, any error was likely to, was likely to be punished and it was going to be costly for either side. And it, in terms of scoreless draws, it was a really, really entertaining one, but Inter were, were excellent. I was actually very impressed. Uh, Strinyard, the, their, their centre-half really really tough cookie really really good uh, impressive guy combative aggressive uh, didn't give them anything really and probably um, in all honesty Inter were, were unlucky actually not, not to win the game outright um, so I, I mean I, and I think you watch you, you know you watch Napoli trying to struggle and, and trying to break them down and they just couldn't force it I mean there was a, a kind of a lack of 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 ingenuity in that final third, which is obviously something surprising, and then you obviously wonder and you dig a little deeper whether or not it was psychological, and th- those bigger questions come back about Napoli's mentality and 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 can they actually somehow manage to to strangle this from Juventus? But you're looking at you know people will look at table and go, well, it's one point difference, but you look at this weekend and how th- both of those fixtures played out, and you just think to yourself, does it come back to this experience? I mean, it was interesting. Uh, Chiellini midweek after the after the, the 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 game against Tottenham, 
very very open about uh, you know how it was an experience factor that got them over the line that you know Juventus have been here so many times before that they could deal with what Tottenham had up their sleeve and they were prepared for it and you just you're just kind of keeping with that sort of storyline and narrative in terms of the, the the domestic run here as well and in terms of uh, the personnel that Juventus have do they just sit back and think to themselves we've been here before and, and we know how to how to see it how to see it through I was just going to say when I was watching Napoli and I don't know if it's psychological with watching it as well but I just felt that they were beginning to tie themselves up a little bit. Things that seemed to be coming quite naturally when they're on their great run just didn't seem to become so natural. And it was almost like you could visibly see Napoli not being able, not struggling to cope with the pressure. And, you know, the, the one-twos, the opening up of the defence. And, and once again, it might be my, my uh, just the feeling I've got watching it but the one thing that struck me when I watched them against Roma last week how deep Roma played against them and Inter also um, I thought in the bits of the game I didn't see the complete game but I did see a good part of it the bits I saw Inter seemed to have adopted a little bit of that Roma strategy as well of sitting a lot deeper and maybe taking that space away from Napoli and allowing them to work, them, work their way in behind the defence so you know maybe maybe a you know, as as the seasons begin to drag into that kind of last quarter, maybe there's some teams out there that have maybe sushed Napoli out a little bit and, and aren't going to make it quite as easy for them as they did through the first half or the first three quarters of the season. Yeah, and it's it's probably it's probably worth pointing out as well that I mean, with uh, obviously the Inter just picked up a point, but um, there's now that obviously Juve and Napoli are are so far ahead of the rest, but there is Roma, Lazio, and and now Inter. I think it's four points. Um, separating Roma in third from Inter in fifth, and Inter have uh, played a game less than Roma and Lazio as well. So there is that little battle, I guess, for for third place. Um, so I mean, it's it, and there's also there's also remember that the top four go through next year. True. Yeah. Uh, because the the reconfiguration of the Champions League, so that top four spot is going to get in the Champions League. And despite Milan losing at Arsenal in midweek, that was a great last minute win for Milan again against Genoa this week so they've kept themselves in touch with Inter and remember on the basis of David Astori's death last week that game still has to be rescheduled as well that uh, Milan derby so you know Milan are kind of chomping at the bit as well uh, to pull in first Inter and then maybe try and pull in Lazio and or Roma uh, and so that that kind of top four is still still very much alive I'd written Milan off much earlier in the season but under uh, Gattuso, the the have shown a lot of fight, and they they have got themselves back into contention. Yeah, even notwithstanding that they've still got a deficit. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I was I actually kind of took myself off and 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 watched uh, quite a bit more of Syria uh, this weekend than, than than I had done previously, and wow, it was just very refreshing. You know, it was um, you know there's something about you know obviously yeah you've got a top two who are you know, there's a, there's a gulf and you can draw your own comparisons or whatever, but um, it's just good to see this league coming a little bit, uh, you know, it's never going to recapture that l- luster and, and that kind of remarkable mid-90s era um, with all the, the world's greatest players based in it, but it is refreshing to see um, how you've kind of ironed out a few of the cogs and, and any time that I've tuned into Syria A over the last couple of seasons, I've never kind of 
walked off in disgust at the quality of football that's been on offer. It, it's it's always been uh, a good standard. It's and like that, I mean, the the one thing you come back to, um, obviously, it helped that you know you've got you know Spalletti on one hand and and Sarri on the other. Um, you you do have very identifiable approaches from from teams and and ways that they are set up and things that they're trying to achieve on the pitch, uh, in 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 great contrast to uh, what we see uh, usually in 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 a vast majority of Premier League games. Um, so that was just another kind of thing that I was pleased with um, from 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 watching uh, some of the Serie A stuff um, from 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 the weekend. And and it's weird. It is tough because. You know, you just lose yourself sometimes in in how slick Napoli can be. Um, you know, and and when they do get that movement going, it's it's a it's a real pleasure to watch. There was one moment actually, and it's it, it's tough. I mean, maybe it's 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 a reflection of how rare you see it. Um, just there was, a, I think it was just a clearance from the back, and a ball dropped from the heavens to Hamshik, and he just took his first touch, which was absolutely immaculate just trapped it dead it was like Ronaldinho at his peak and you know it was just those little delicate things that and, and it was weird I was sitting there I got really excited about this as an isolated incident I was like geez when was the last time that I got excited about a moment like that happening in something like a Premier League game um, and maybe I'm being a little bit harsh on Premier League here but uh, it was uh, it was nice that you, we still have these moments happening uh, in leagues like Syria who have been through the ringer uh, over the last while. Uh, yes, I feel a little bit sad that maybe things might be slipping for Napoli a little bit um, and that there does seem to be a sense of inevitability about the Juventus unstoppable juggernauts and all that sort of stuff. Uh, hopefully, Napoli can keep it going um, and we can still get um, a, a really great finale to a title race. Um, so fingers crossed that 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 still happens because I, I just think that what they've given us over the last few seasons it it definitely is deserving of some some sort of a reward. So just looking at the fixture list in in the hope that uh, the Napoli Juventus uh, race for Serie A can be tight. Uh, Juventus have got Milan um, in Turin at the end of this month, and then it is on the twenty second. Juventus play Napoli, followed by Juventus going to Inter on the 29th and the second last game of the season Juventus have to go to Roma as well so if maybe coming out of this maybe the the the, the takeaway from this is if Napoli can hold on get to the 22nd of April within maybe a point a couple of points of Juventus they've got to go to Turin as well but at least it gives them a good shout and then coming off that, if they can rattle Juventus a little bit, Juventus having to go to um, Milan to play Inter, and then finishing the second last game against Roma. Uh, Might be, maybe it'll be um, like it was in the 2000s when we used to go down the last game of the season in Serie A, so keep our fingers crossed for a great finish to Serie A. That brings us to the end of part two, we'll be back with part three in a few seconds. You're listening to Soccer Report Extra with Bobby McMahon and Owen O'Callaghan. Be sure to follow them both on Twitter. Links are in the show notes below. Now back to the show. Time to take a look at Major League Soccer. Week two uh, of the new season. And there's some good storyline so far. A number of deputants making, or players making their debut, uh, scoring their debut goal, I should say. But as far as performances over two games so far, I think uh, we've got a tip our hat to Los Angeles Football Club expansion team 
two games, two wins, and a pretty emphatic win, 5-1, against Real Salt Lake on Saturday. Uh, I think, uh, would you agree on the story of the season so far, even if it is just two games? I think, I think it taps into the glitz and glamour and high-profile nature of LAFC, that uh, it's only fitting that they have made an early splash. Um, yeah, it's an interesting one, this. You know, I'm kind of keen on on how this all plays out um, in, in terms of, you know, being the, the second team in the city and all that sort of stuff and trying to separate yourself from the other guys um, and, you know, trying to trying to, to, to build that difference in support. Um, you're always kind of intrigued as to how the business plan is actually kind of executed. Um, in terms of uh, the season so far and how it's gone, it's, it's, it's been pretty, pretty perfect. Uh, obviously, we all know how treacherous uh, away games are in MLS, uh, usually, traditionally. Um, but it's no surprise. I mean, Bob Bradley is is an experienced guy at this, and, and, and he's calm and composed and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure that, that he uh, has has this squad uh, ticking over nicely. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it, in terms of what he brings to the table, it's no muss, no fuss, and yeah, we kind of know what to expect. Um, it is, I mean, some of the 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 storylines in terms of LAFC. I, I think the the recruitment is is always a, a big thing for an expansion club. I think that they've managed to land a couple of interesting guys. I mean, obviously uh, Benny Failhaber being there. Um, you know, in terms of these experienced guys and trying to mix it with with additions to the roster of, of guys that are relatively unheralded or, or unknown, uh, but also getting uh, Laurent Simon from uh, from Montreal Impact, a really really great uh, set the half, and, and I'm still amazed that that Montreal allowed him. Um, or, or you know, let him to leave, essentially push them out the doors is kind of what happened. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of all the, the other the other big storyline, I guess, in in terms of LAFC, is LA Galaxy on the other hand of it, and or on the other side of it, um, kind of slipping through the trap door and having major kind of issues eating away at, at their franchise. So I mean, the opportunity is there certainly for LAFC to 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 walk in. Uh, and smash through the doors and deliver a kind of a firm statement of intent. And going by the first two games of the season, they've uh, they've made a good stab at it early doors. Well, just the, the, the I thought the, the the way that Los Angeles FC attacked was intelligent. It was a road game, you know, hitting on the break, wanting to sit back a little bit, absorb a little bit of pressure. As uh, lots of shots on um, shots in this game, and it wasn't it wasn't. You look at a five one result and you go, well, this team was blown away. But Real Salt Lake had had a, a fair bit of the game and they did create some chances as well but I think it was just that that the thing that really impressed me was when Los Angeles went forward they went forward with intent and they seemed to go forward with a plan and and a, and, a, and went forward in a, an attacking fashion that struck me as impressive considering this is only two games and this is only the second game in the season I didn't quite expect them to be as fine-tuned going forward sometimes a team will come in you've put it together you're looking at defensively and you say, OK, we're going to make sure we're going to build from the back. We're going to make sure we're solid defensively. And then we get after that as a bonus. But this team that seemed of some, um, it was quite fluid going forward. Diego Rossi, Uruguayan mm. um, forward, who got a couple of goals. He looks like he could be a good one. Fell Haber, talked about him before. Um, was the, was, is Nick Romando the only goalkeeper in the world? 
that doesn't know that Carlos Vela always <laughs> goes to chip the goalkeeper when he's through. It's 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 funny. I'm watching it. I'm watching it. I'm watching it on TV yesterday, right? And I'm going. He's going to chip. He's going to chip, gonna chip, he's gonna chip it. He's going to chip it. He's going to chip it. Yeah, enough. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> he chipped the goalkeeper. Like, why don't you just stand there? You know, stand up straight. You're going to be able to catch it. He does it every friggin' time. Like there is no secrets. It's like Troy Deeney putting his putting his belly kicks down the middle I of the know. middle of the goal. Yeah, it, it get... like anybody anybody with a little bit of interest in the game should know these things. Uh, the interesting thing um, in, in terms of uh, how these things play out, you know, obviously we we tend to everyone's obviously talking about LAFC and a major explosive start they've made to the season and all that sort of stuff. But um, they don't play next weekend, uh, and then there's the FIFA break. So they've now got a. A, yeah. a, they've got no competitive action until it must be what the start of April uh, or very end of March. However, however much the calendar works, um, I can tell you what uh, you know. What the next game is? I don't. You can, is it? You can probably guess. Oh, it's local derby, is it? It is. Oh wow, tasty. March thirty first. So we we, yeah, we then very tasty. Yeah, we we then may see a little bit more of a your, one of your favourite terms of the regression to the mean, right? Where you Maybe. you've you have, you've had to deal with a bit of time off. Yeah. Uh, you know how you kind of keep the the players. Um, you know that level of momentum up and keep their energies up, uh, and also you're facing into a kind of a, a high octane and a high profile sort of fixture. So that it's it, yeah, it might be an interesting one to come back to um, LAFC just just after that game takes place and just see that you know uh, perhaps that, that they uh, they may they may wobble just a little bit, which is perfectly understandable. But listen, um, the points are on the board already. Um, and, and yeah, that essentially, MLS is such a curious league and such a strange place that that's ultimately most important. The other, uh, the other thing, the, the in terms of um, MLS and teams that have hit the ground running, Columbus Crew. Yes. Um, this is, I, I mean, I, I watched them against Toronto, and I have to say, um, Greg Bar- Berhalter, he's he's a good coach. He's, you know, it, this is uh, you know, something we obviously talked about last last season as well. But, um, you know, I was worried, uh, not worried, I was intrigued to see how they were kind of going to start this this campaign and, and whether or not it was going to absolutely fall through a trap door. They've started really, they've they played a game really well. They've got a couple of, of very, very solid players in that team, particularly centre midfield. Um, they've got some, some uh, you know, exciting players in attack. And... In terms of all of that turmoil and all of that crap that's kind of engulfed the the franchise over the last while, uh, well done to them again. They've they've started really really well, and it's it's just something that's kind of caught the eye. You're like, you know what? It's it, it's not necessarily the realms of possibility for them to have another proper go at at, at this campaign. It's and uh, late goal to beat uh, Montreal Impact as well. Very late goal. Yeah. Like they, you, you probably heard it when you listened to the podcast last week, but that pass again, going back to that Toronto game. The pass from uh, Santos yeah. for that goal, for the single, was just absolutely this world. And that's, um, remember, that's Columbus crew short of uh, the fact that they let go Justin Merrim and uh, Ola Kamara from um, last year as well. Mm. So, you know, that's, uh, they've made some moves, um, but a good start. At, uh, as you say, the MLS is a little bit of a strange beast you've got. Basically, the way they were structured this year with the 23 teams is three teams off every round of play. 
um, and there's lots of ups and downs so it's always I think you've got to let it play out a little bit maybe the first 10 games to, to let the league settle down but, but one other uh, I think uh, result to mention um, was uh, Sporting KC going to Chicago Fire up 2 nothing, down 3-2 and then finishing up winning 4-3 with uh, two very late goals as well three goals in the last 8 minutes three goals within 3 minutes actually at the end of the game and I was interested in seeing uh, Johnny Russell ex of Dundee United and ex of Derby County being interviewed after the game and I would just uh, offer myself as a translator for Johnny anytime he's on <laughs> he's on microphone again but that's just talking through experience but he, uh, it was a great run and a great setup as well so I think uh, fair to say um, first two rounds of MLS have brought lots of goals lots of entertainment and uh, before we leave MLS, I think uh, a quick nod to CONCACAF Champions League. Indeed. Uh, New York Red Bulls obviously in a really strong position after winning 2 nothing in Tijuana. Um, we also have um, uh, Toronto FC going to Tigris. I watched Tigris on Saturday and uh, Gignac scored... Uh, probably popped one from about 30 yards hit it with Swerve keep it, it a bit a wrong belter, foot. Wasn't it? it was a belter uh, Valencia on the bench again it was uh, Vargas that started with Gignac um, up front so I think uh, you can look at that and Seattle uh, that Tigres game I think is going to be very interesting Tigres don't score a lot of goals but they don't allow a lot either and so I think it's very important if Toronto are going to stand a chance here that they get the first goal and give themselves something to hang on to because I fear if they go behind um, then the fans and Tigris might just manage the game in a way uh, that's going to put it beyond um, beyond Toronto FC last one is Seattle um, against Chivas uh, Guadalajara yep. and a one nothing win there going to Chivas Chivas are not playing well um, this year and although it's a one goal lead just a one goal lead going to Mexico and we know how easy these can be turned over, but I think uh, I think I think Seattle stand a pretty good chance there. But you, I I didn't see the Columbus Tigris game the first leg. I was uh, otherwise engaged in Guadalajara, watching something else. But uh, a couple of any comments on that that game from um, from Wednesday night? It was kind of funny here. You 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 play a first leg at home in the Concacaf Champions League against a Mexican team, knowing that the second leg is still to come. Not- a notorious difficult uh, assignment and yeah. people lose the run of themselves very very easily you know it's um, you know in, in terms of, of how that first leg played out you know uh, Osorio with a with a, a terrific piece of individualism uh, to secure Toronto's win but you know 2-1 win going down there um, it's still very very cagey and and uh, you know as as you know the, the reaction up here seemed to be oh you know Toronto are going to go down there and ask severe questions and you're like well we can't be sure of that you know we can't be kind of sure of, of, of anything and the the level of kind of uh, guesstimations uh, has, has been has been curious I mean the, the history tells you just how difficult it always is for MLS teams to go to Mexico and, tr- and, and, and get a result when the pressure's on for them to do it um, and you know, yeah. If they had a couple of goals in the bag, maybe um, you'd you'd feel a lot more confident. And you know, I just think that Toronto have 
has started the season quite sluggishly, to be honest, uh, which is maybe to be expected for for a, a domestic champion who, uh, you know, have waited a while for for a bit of success. They finally got it, and you know, maybe you have to just uh, be prepared for them to possibly be a little bit slower at the start of the following season, uh, just for you know, from a psychological perspective, even. Um, but it's it's just still a big ask, you know. It, it's um, you know now obviously. You know, it, 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 everything's eventual, and you you are hopeful that that you'll get to the stage where uh, a two one home win going to Mexico is actually a really positive situation to be in. Um, I still have I still have my doubts. I think uh, Tigres um, have have a lot of quality, and they certainly didn't show enough of it uh, at BMO Field um, at home. You'd expect a lot more from them. Um, and you'd expect their their high profile players to, to to go and deliver. Now, obviously, Vanny's an intelligent coach. Um, you know, the team is 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 an excellent one at TFC, and, and they'll be prepared. And um, but it's it's just always tricky. And it, and it's Concacaf Champions League. It's it's a, like that. We talk about how curious MLS is. Elite. You know, Concacaf Champions League is is uh, is 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 an all too familiar sort of competition. Um, and it's it's it, you know it usually is. Is it is a tough one for MLS teams to crack, and and um, you know in terms of that Toronto game um, against Tigres, it, it could it could follow along a similar pattern, to be honest. The the look, if you look at that draw as well, it's very heavily weighted in that mm. top half. Like Seattle and New York have got a very very good chance of making the, in my opinion, making the semi final. Yeah. Up in that top half of the draw, you got Tigres, you got. Um, uh, Toronto FC obviously but you've also got Club America who yeah. are undefeated in MLS so far this year yeah. they're you know they've got a lock on that already they're playing quite well just now they only drew with Chivas last week on 1-1 draw but uh, you know out of all the teams I've seen so far down in Mexico I would say they've been the most impressive uh, so far even though they're not leading the league um, they're still undefeated. A lot of games in draw, finishing draws. I think they've played ten games, haven't lost yet. Four of them wins, six of them draws. But there's uh, the, the look. There's a solid look about them um, that I find kind of impressive. So um, whoever wins the Tigris Toronto FC game are going to have another uh, tough game on their hands because they're going to run into Club America and the coach Miguel Herrera, who we know from <laughs> the last World Cup, is black at Club uh, Club America as well. So. Anyway, we'll be uh, watching Ch- CONCACAF Champions League as well as UEFA Champions League and the Europa League. Another big week for uh, for uh, club competitions. And uh, that brings us into part three. We'll be back with the voice of truth, Luke Crawford, in part four in just a few seconds. You're listening to Soccer Report Extra. Keep up to speed with the podcast and get all the latest news, musings and rants from Bobby and Owen by liking us on Facebook at Soccer Report Extra. Now, back to the show. And this is where we bring in the voice of truth, producer Luke Crawford, to uh, run down some of uh, the stats, some of the facts, and uh, add a little bit more information and flavour to some of the things that Owen and I have talked about over the last 40 or so minutes. Luke, what have you got for us this week? Well, Quiz Ball was on uh, BBC (laughs) from 1966 to 1972. Um, The episode, I believe, season one, episode one, which aired December 22nd, 1966, featured John Frankham Ian Ure. Yes. uh, Who started out at Dundee from 58 to 63, but played for Arsenal from 63 to 69. Um... 
played for two se- uh, two seasons at Ma- or from 69 to 71 at Manchester United and then retired uh, or ended his playing career with St. Mirren. In Ian 73, Hoover managed, managed uh, East, East Stirlingshire Sterling. for a season from 74 to In 75. The mid-70s? Can I just pause, is- just pause there for one second, Luke? Here's a question yep. for Owen. That uh, Ian, you're managing East Stirling. What historical figure does should you associate that with? Uh, Easterling, and what was the year, Luke? Uh, 74, 75. Who came out of uh, the Scottish system about 74, 75, managed a few teams in Scotland, then went to England and had uh, a wee bit of success? No way, really? Fergie somebody? That's the connection. Yes, Alex Ferguson was succeeded at Easterling by Ian Muir. That is crazy. I believe. That is a great pub quiz question, actually. Yeah, and then uh, that was when Fergie went to um, Fergie went to St Mirren and then went to Aberdeen, then Manchester United. That's right. And I can hear Luke hammering away on the keyboard here saying, check this out, check the this ma- out. The Man United connection, <laughs> Fergie even went back that far. Yeah. East Stirlingshire. The club's most famous manager is former Manchester United manager Sir Alex Ferguson who, in his first position as manager, stayed at East Stirlingshire during 1974 before moving to St. Mirren. Yeah. Wow. Take no, there we go. Mr. McMahon. Anyway, back to, <laughs> back to you, Luke. Sorry for that little interruption. So Ian, Ian Ewer, then, is a 78-year-old gentleman. Uh, cur- Still living. Currently employed, according to Wikipedia, as a social worker in Kilmarnock. Nah, he's retired now. Must be. I have it on good authority. Do you? I still have my contacts. He was also a very good rugby player. I think he played for Scottish uh, rugby schoolboys. He actually talked about him being a social worker, but he actually worked in the prison system. So I just want to clarify my contacts are not within the prison system. (laughs) (laughs) Just to clarify that. (laughs) So we were also talking about uh, Major League Soccer and uh, Los Angeles FC. Uh, obviously, uh, one prospect to look at is their their young designated player that they signed from uh, Uruguay, from uh, Peñarol, uh, Diego Rossi. So he was born uh, 20 years ago, uh, March 5th, 1998, just to make you feel oh my old. God. Yeah. <laughs> French World Cup. 1998 World Cup just seemed like yesterday. Doesn't it? So he played, uh, his only other senior experience was playing for Peñarol in the 2016-17 season, made 46 appearances, scored 13 goals. He has two appearances for LA and has scored three goals. There we go. Um, and then we were also talking about uh, the CONCACAF Champions League and um, just how, how dire the results seem to be for MLS teams. Uh, they did only ever, um, well, in this most recent incarnation of the tournament since 2008, uh, MLS teams have only featured in the final twice. In 2010-11, RSL versus Monterey ended up losing uh, 3-2 on aggregate. And then 2014-15, Montreal against Club America losing 5-3 on aggregate. And I, I remember that Montreal story and when, when they reached that final. And I was actually astounded that it just wasn't looked upon as big of a deal as it was at the time in terms of coverage of the story. That it was, it was just, it just seemed to be so quiet and not dealt with at all. The fact that uh, you had a Canadian team reach the final of this tournament when the history books were uh, so heavily against them, uh, and that probably another kind of 
a damning element of the whole bloody thing, right? It's um, it's it's a strange competition in terms of that. I don't know if you've got the details there, but my recollection was that RSL, I think Monterey, did RSL not get get, get a decent result in Mexico that time? And was it not a draw? And Monterey actually beat them in real in uh, Salt Lake. Yeah, that's correct. Well, it was leg, a two-two yeah. draw. 2-2 yeah. draw in Monterey, and then it was a 1-0 win for Monterey yeah. to, uh, to seal it. And those were two extremely entertaining games, like yeah. just a hammer and tong type uh, type fixtures, both of those. Yeah, remember that. I remember, uh, I remember those ones quite well. Particularly, I thought that, because uh, basically the build-up for that second leg was that uh, Real Salt Lake were going to be the team that uh, were going to turn the tide. And we're actually going to beat a Mexican team in, in CONCACAF Champions League, but reformatted and all the rest. But uh, it'll be interesting this week. Uh, looking forward to these games. And that's all I have. Oh, the voice of truth. So that brings us to the end of this edition of the Soccer Report Extra Podcast. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll be back next week to uh, join us again. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Soccer Report Extra. To keep tabs on the podcast and get all the latest news, musings, and rants from Bobby and Owen, like us on Facebook at Soccer Report Extra. Music for this podcast graciously provided by Manitoba's hottest indie pop group, Misery Slims. Check them out on Spotify and YouTube and follow the band on Facebook at Misery Slims. Misery Slims.